like they they advertise one match by crashing a car into one of the wrestlers. Not a total victory of Russia, which now we're seeing. This he goes on. Gigantic bag of flaccid dicks. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Which, when you open them up, you find out that they're all cockroaches inside. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. No, I don't know if anybody else is ever going to laugh this hard at anything we Probably. say. Uh, we can actually both look out my window right now and see some very pretty yellow flowers that I'm going to be eradicating. This is a geek history of time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm a new father of a now 10-month-old son. Uh, and I have been a geek since as long as I can remember. Uh, one of my defining geek moments was probably uh, reading uh, The Fellowship of the Ring in the backseat of my parents' car on a trip to Florida when I could not have been more than about six years old. I did not really comprehend very much of it, but what I was able to pick up had me spellbound. I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher, a former social science teacher. Uh, I am a father of a nine-year-old almost. He's going to be nine in three days. Holy crap. Right? Uh, That's what, a hundred-month-old? Yeah. I I don't math well. Um, And I'm also the father of a six-year-old. 108-month. 108-month-old, yeah. Yeah. I'm also the the father of a six-year-old. A six and a half year old uh, who uh, is seventy eight months. months old, who's super into D and D. Nice. Uh, he he does it so that he can then play geeky games on my phone. Okay. She does it because she loves it. Uh, so I've been a geek for quite some time. I can remember uh, geeking out over uh, all the presidents. Okay. Yeah, I, cool. I had a book I like called that. the uh, Big Book of U.S. Presidents, oh, awesome. and it went from Reagan or it went from Washington to Reagan. Okay. And it stopped there because he was the current president. Was, yeah, at that time. And you can, I still have this book. Mm-hmm. And I used to take it up on the shed on my parents' farm oh, wow. when we lived in okay. Florida. And that was my getaway. Okay. And one day the kids on the back of the bus um, in Florida, all the kids go, get on the bus and, and what have you. And based on what grade you're in, you sit in certain sections of the bus. Okay. Right. They took my book and, oh, you're so smart. And then they started quizzing me on it. And they asked me... It was a rural community, so getting to school was uh, a long drive. They asked me close to 100 questions, and I missed only seven. Wow. And some I even answered before they finished asking. So this is the stuff of legend amongst nice. them. Yeah, and I can believe it. Yeah. How many of them were any good at reading? I'm sorry to that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, many of was, them. This was North Florida. Yeah, this is North Central Florida. Yeah. The, the taint of Florida. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah, yeah, it, yeah um, special part of the country. Yeah, right there. My parents lived there for a couple of years. Yeah, Levy then. County. Oh, nice. So, yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. So yeah, I geeked out about that, and then I spent a lot of time in that library reading a lot of books about like the biographies of Eleanor Roosevelt and Dwight Eisenhower. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Cool. So, that's the geek I am. All right. Very cool. So, I got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, what do you know about giant robots? Mm, narrow the field for me. Cause, okay. Yeah. Um, what, what do you know about uh, Battletech? So, what I know about Battletech is going to be, like, not canon. It's going to be, like, Diane canon. Hmm. So. Okay. Or, it, or it's it, going to be partal projection okay. canon. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh well yeah. done. Thank you. I worked at a place That's called. For you. Thank you. Um, I worked at a place called Virtual World. Hell yes. In Walnut Creek. Okay. I wore a lab coat. Mm-hmm. I had a call sign. Yes. My call sign was Shaft. 
bitching Camaro. <laughs> you damn that. right. That's awesome. All right. Uh, and I took people on missions in Battletech. Yes. So the things I know, like you'll say words probably, and I'll be like, oh yeah, that was the color of the the, was, the, the ankle thing there. Yeah. 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 So that's that's what I know of Battletech. Okay. Uh, we sold books. We to- sold oh, yeah. Battletech books. Yeah. And there were a few people who were really into them. Yeah. Um, but that's that's about as much as I know. Okay. So it's it's going to be similar to, you know, what do you know about Star Wars? Oh well, you know, I played the Pod Racer game. Nice. Yeah. You know, it'll <laughs> be about that. Yeah. Which. Yeah. Okay. So are we um, doing a BattleTech episode? We're, we're doing a BattleTech episode. Nice. We are. We are oh, in fact cool. doing one. Um, cool. I can tell you like the best kind of vehicles to run if you're in pea soup fog or in the yeah, arena. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, and you know we might talk a little about that at some point. I but, got pretty um, far in a tournament once with a Loki Prime, and people were just shocked that I was able to use a Loki Prime that well. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it was kind of a. It was it was garbage, but was, I found the way to use it to make yeah, a spin. It, yeah. was, it was good. So the reason I ask that. Is yeah. uh, well now I, I gotta I gotta ask the other question. Uh-huh. Uh huh. How much do you know about uh, the the concept of yellow peril? Oh, a fair amount. I had okay. a uh, social science teacher in eighth grade mm-hmm. who made us um, read a bunch of articles on how the Japanese were taking over economically. And this is the yes. early nineties. Okay, early yes. before Hirohito died. Okay. And right. so, so. I, I I know a fair amount from those readings. All right. Well, actually, yeah. it would have had to be uh, late 80s because he, he oh. died in 89. Oh, he I did. Okay. got that confirmed in okay. research I actually did. Sure, sure. But anyway, um, so um, because the two are intertwined and the the background lore, what I'm going to, the, the thesis I'm working from here mm-hmm. is that the background lore for Battletech mm-hmm. uh, is the Cold War under Reagan. Mm-hmm. But focusing on Yellow Peril rather than the USSR. Okay. So first, let's kind of go into a primer about what Battletech was and okay. all that kind of stuff. Sounds so good. Uh, Battletech was first printed in 1984. Okay, the game was first released in you know midway through Reagan. So it was a game before it was a uh, it, uh, a book. Um, the novels were released a little bit like. Almost, almost simultaneous. Okay. Very, okay. very, very following, very closely on the heels. Mm. Uh, but it started out. Its its very first existence was as a tabletop war game. Okay. Okay. And um, this is midway through Reagan. And mm-hmm. just just to kind of remind you about what what we're talking about as far as the state of the world at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the LA Olympics is eighty four. Okay. Which the Soviets boycotted. Right. Because we had boycotted but, eighty. Right. Because of Afghanistan. Uh, which you know, at that time, it was the Soviets who were invading and you know getting their asses kicked and realizing it was a massive war of attrition that they were never going to be able to win because nobody has ever been able to win because it's fucking Afghanistan. Yeah. Well, they felt left out. They didn't have a Vietnam, and they're like, we need a Vietnam. <laughs> we need a Vietnam, and so, <laughs> and so they, they got one. Yeah, so they invaded Afghanistan. They got their Vietnam. Um, Eighty-four is the year that the Libyan embassy in London was besieged mm-hmm. uh, because a police officer uh, was uh, shot uh, yeah. during a demonstration outside. Uh, the Ethiopian famine, Ethiopian, pardon me, mm-hmm. famine was in full swing. That's right, because uh, Live Aid came the next year. Live Aid, yeah, yeah. Band Aid by Bob Geldof mm-hmm. uh, was eighty-four. Uh, Live Aid was the mm-hmm. following year, and um, on August eleventh. Oh, wait, Iran-Contra was going on that year, too. Uh, yes. Just, you know. Yes, just throw that one in there. Yes, <laughs> it was, as a matter of fact. And um, just to give you an idea of the 
level, the the tone of the Cold War, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite moments of Cold War history happened during 1984. August 11th, um, Ronnie Reagan is going to hold a press conference. Uh He's standing in front of the White House press corps. And he says to the assembled White House press corps, mm-hmm. um, I have just signed legislation to outlaw the Soviet Union. Bombing begins in five minutes. Now, this was <laughs> intended to be an offhand, you know, ha, 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 here I am, president, most powerful man in the world. The trouble was, he said it, he didn't realize it was a hot mic. Oh, no. <laughs> and and it, it caused it, we almost died. It caused, it caused a very a very very brief but very intense level of massive panic um, across the entire Soviet bloc. Oh wow! Until they realized that wait, nothing's actually been mobilized. Right. But there were about three minutes during which. They're hovering the, on the buttons. The the, the neurologic the, the neural net, as it were, of the Soviet defense system was firing everything off, trying to communicate about, oh my god, we gotta move everything. What the hell we gotta do? Oh. That dick. Oh, the son of a bitch is telling a joke. So yeah, just just to you know okay. so that's so that's where we were oh, in the Cold wow. War at that point in eighty four. So now to talk about Battletech. Okay. Um it, it's it's this this is the world in which this then got printed, and uh, it is an immense sprawling universe mm-hmm. with this uh, really long, very uh, rich uh, fictional history, mm-hmm. which basically mean it means it's it's complete crack for me. Right. This, this is you you've heard me talk about this shit about other, other with Warhammer other stuff with Warhammer. Yeah. This is this is like oh my god, let me find a vein. How do I get into this? This doesn't have a sad ending you know, like Crowd Boys taking it over, does it? No. Good. No. Thankfully, Good. Yeah. thank God. No. And yeah, Pr- Proud and, Boys, stay away from this one. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know what? You know what? No. That commercial break was brought to you by my daughter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, about the about the Proud Boys thing in in BattleTech. Uh, yeah, guys, stay away from it. Uh, it actually involves a great deal more math than Warhammer, so I think many of you might have more problems with it. <laughs> anyway. So. Yeah. It's also kind um, of a form of masturbation, so they probably don't want they to. They do probably it anyway. don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, huh. yeah. So much I could say about that. So anyway, <laughs> um, the original edition of the game uh-huh. was set in the 31st century, uh, in which a couple of centuries of warfare uh, had taken a high-tech mm-hmm. interstellar society just shy of Star Trek. Okay. Not, not quite Star Trek level of you know f- mm-hmm. the future looks like an iPod, but you know really. Very, uh, you know, everybody has a high standard of living thanks to, mm-hmm. you know, technology. Like we'd hit utopia. We, we'd, oh, well, or all, we're, almost. We're, it was, it was, it was just over the next it was, it, was a very, it was a very realistic view. Uh-huh. I, give them, I give them credit for politically and sociologically. It's, it's a more realistic thing than a utopia. But it was generally a very high technological society. And uh, a couple of centuries of this warfare... Uh, by the time the game opens up, has turned it into a, a weird kind of dark age where there are these vast gulfs of technology, mm-hmm. where you have wars being fought with these, you know, three-story tall mechas, mech mechs, you know, fighting against each other that are powered by fusion reactors and use particle projection cannons and mm-hmm. all this stuff, and where ordinary people, 
you know, are having to hunt for food with spears if they live on the wrong kind of planet, and they'll take what they've hunted and take it home and cook it in a microwave oven. You know, this this okay. weird like there are these bizarre kind of kind of gaps in how you know technology operates. Uh-huh. Um, and even between regions on the same planet, you know, you'll have uh, where you know the the local ruler lives. You know, he's going to live in what we would consider a modern kind of, mm-hmm. you know, home with modern conveniences and electricity, running water, and, you know, f- fascinating high-tech gadgets, you know, beyond that. Sure. Whereas the ordinary people of his planet might live in a standard of living or a style of living largely comparable to the 17th century. Okay. Uh, only, you know, they have large tractors that, you know, they have to work to try to maintain. But otherwise, right. you know, everything else that they work with is, you know, bare bones, you know, lots of handmade kind of, kind right. of things. You know, Amish. Kind of. Kind of. That's an interest. I hadn't thought of that comparison. But, yeah, that, that would that would kind of work. And so um, feudalism is dominant. So okay. you have these powerful houses that control these vast regions of the galaxy. And we'll get to talking to them more in okay. a minute. But there are these successor states. I'll explain right. about why they're called that. In which these nobles control whole planets. And the baron who controls a planet has to answer to a duke who controls a march. Who then has okay. to answer to... You know, it's, right. it's this feudal kind of system. Um, and you, Quick question for you. Yeah. Um, so... Post-apocalyptic mm. is a genre. It's a popular mm-hmm. genre. Very often, it seems to be a way to get to talk about feudal systems. Okay. Do you think, just, I mean, the fact that this is feudalism, but now we've got robot tanks. Um, yeah. Do you think the feudalism thing is a trope that's just easy to grab at? Or are they trying to make a point about... I think the... I, I think in this case, any commentary that they wind up making uh-huh. was a secondary result okay. of what they were going for. I, okay. I genuinely think the the and it, and actually it's it's good that you ask that question because the next thing I've got in my notes uh, has cool. to be talking about the rationale for feudalism in an interstellar setting, um, a la Foundation. Now, mm-hmm. are you're familiar with? I presume you're familiar with at least the titles of the Foundation books by Isaac Asimov. No. Okay. All right. I have weird gaps in the okay. literature. Right. Um, so I have known about the Foundation series since I was 12. Okay. Um, and that's because every other science fiction nerd that I've spoken to who was at all literary mm-hmm. told me, read Asimov. Right. For the love of God, fucking read Asimov. And I put it off. Right. And I put it up because it's, it's Asimov and, you know, I'm more of a Heinlein guy. I'm more okay. of a, you know, thrilling yarns, you know, blaster guns, space opera kind right. of guy. And everything I'd heard about Asimov was that he was more intellectual. Uh-huh. And finally I decided, okay, I got to eat my broccoli. <laughs> and I sat down and I read the first uh, foundation book. And here's the deal. Teaching Latin as you do, mm-hmm. and as we've mentioned before, that making you classicist adjacent <laughs> foundation is is going to light you up like a christmas tree okay because asimov did his research and mm-hmm. foundation is about is is a science fiction template for the fall of the roman empire okay and the rebirth of western civilization through feudalism 
the dominance of the church, oh, okay. growth of trade and the middle class, and into I mean he he he's psycho- holding up a mirror to our history. Yes, and and psycho history, mm-hmm. uh, which at this point is an aside from what I intended to talk about with this, but it's important to mention. Uh, he he introduces the idea of psychohistory as a study of look we know how people behave uh-huh. if we have powerful enough computers we can predict based on these patterns how people are going to behave sure. hundreds and thousands of years into the future not on an individual scale because in the model we're looking at that would be like trying to predict how a quantum particle is going to right happen. right we're but looking at all of humanity the large the, movements the big picture we can sure. we can predict and so a the first psycho historian essentially finds a way to trick everybody mm-hmm. into giving him the funds and the resources to establish a a place where knowledge is going to be protected when the empire falls. Okay. Okay. And then that's that's the MacGuffin, and then everything sure. everything goes from there. So now the reason I mentioned foundation is because foundation to you reading it today, mm-hmm. having read all of the other interstellar empire stories that you have, Star Wars, yeah, Dune, no, just Star Wars, uh, okay. <laughs> so, but but being, being exposed <laughs> all of Star to, Wars, okay, yeah, yeah. But but being exposed to oh yeah science yeah. fiction tropes and seeing all this stuff in our oh, media, yeah. the idea of an interstellar empire and all of sure. that stuff is. Well, I mean, I just saw the movie by uh, what's his face. Um, Oh Lord, what's his name? The guy who directed Dune. Oh, uh, uh, Lynch. Yeah, David, David Lynch. Lynch. I was gonna say Daniel Lloyd Webber. Mm. <laughs> very different. Very. The very spice will control you. you. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, but, but by Lynch. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that. So that's just as okay. good as reading the books. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's fully I comprehensive. Really, Sting was in it. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I get it. I will kill him. Um, <laughs> here's the deal. I'm I'm gonna admit right now, yeah. I fucking love that movie. Yeah, no, like it, like it inspired as, me to watch a, Beetlejuice. Yeah, like, okay, all those sandworms. Nice. So <laughs> so, but as as somebody who really loves the books, I mm-hmm. also really love that movie. And normally, though, that's a golf that most don't. Normally, jump. yeah. Normally, if if you really love the books, you're like David Lynch needs to burn in hell. Right. You know, he's committed you know heresy against Herbert. And sure. Um, I, I don't think so. I think it's a great movie. It captures all the main themes, you know. Um, but that whole idea uh-huh. of, of an empire in space with a feudal structure mm-hmm. was something that, that Asimov created. Okay. And his rationale for it basically uh, 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 condensed and kind mm-hmm. of spun out a little bit is that in order to maintain administrative and military control mm-hmm. across vast distances. Sure. The feudal structure of centralized individual, you know, giving large scale, this is what we're going to do orders and mm-hmm. then sending those orders out and having somebody who is in effect a local despot, uh-huh. then making those decisions and doing things locally and, and having that kind of the dispersed power structure involved in feudalism. Yeah. According to Herbert and anybody who, or not Herbert, Asimov, and, mm-hmm. and, and then Herbert and anybody who decides to follow this particular model. Well, and the local PTA. I mean, that's how you well, get yeah, the phone calls out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Phone tree. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> um, the the rationale is that over those vast distances, and mm-hmm. especially if you're dealing with 
a situation where there is any kind of time gap involved in space travel, mm-hmm. um, that's that's the way to get that stuff done. Okay. Okay. Um, and you know, if if you're looking for a way to build a setting for a space opera, mm-hmm. that's a good enough rationale. Sure. I mean, if you really want to get into sociological studies of you know what's the best way to do all this, we can argue that forever. But for the purposes of these stories, that's what they do. Sure. And so, to give you the shortest summary of the history of this universe that I can, uh-huh. uh, humanity began expanding out from Earth in the Battletech universe in fits and starts outward from Earth, uh, utilizing a jump drive starting in the early 22nd century. There was first the Terran Alliance, okay. which was ruled from Terra, but was, you know, all the planets that had been colonized were you know under that authority right then the terran hegemony exerted control over colonies and both of these powers exerted control over the colonies mostly for the benefit of earth okay okay Uh, and then there was a long period of conflict between interstellar powers so these these individual colony worlds gradually formed their own little confederacies and their own little you know federations whatever you want to call them and those conflicts led to mm-hmm. the formation of the Star League in the 26th century. It sounds an awful lot like the end of World War One, League of Nations. A little bit. The Age of a Empire. A little bit yeah. with, with an important caveat there. Mm. <clears throat> the Star League mm-hmm. acted as a sort of a hybrid imperial authority and federal authority. So okay. the individual the individual states... Sure. of the Star League had autonomy mostly within mm-hmm. their own borders but anytime there was a conflict between them they had to answer to the imperial authority of the Star League so it's okay. what the League of Nations meant to be what the League of Nations meant to be but the League of Nations never had its own army right okay and so the it's... Star League okay. had there was An a Star League royal army okay it had real real gotcha. honest to god enforcement okay um, and it had the military might to enforce agreements between these subsidiary states. Okay. Okay. And uh, the Star League also oversaw uh, the enforcement of the Ares Accords, which become important because they are the Battletech universe equivalent of the Geneva Conventions. And okay. now during these very early conflicts between these... How is Ares spelled? A-R-E-S. Okay, so it's not the, the ram. It's, no, it okay. is... It it's is the god of war. the Greek god of war. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so during these conflicts, this, these conflicts that they describe in the history of the setting, sure, way back in the history of the setting, 500 years before or more before mm-hmm. the beginning of, of the actual game, um, were these, these powers fighting amongst each other. And these were brutal wars that involved the use of nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. large scale, you know, massive destruction. Planet killers. Yeah. yeah. And, and, or, or at least continent killers. And so the Ares Accords were put in place and then enforced by the Star League to say, no, no, that if, if you do that, you've gone beyond the pale and you're going to face, everybody is now going to come after you. Okay. You know, um, and it was a way to, to limit you know what what it was that combatants were going to do okay okay and under the star league there was real no kidding enforcement kind of power so mutually assured destruction with a really strong referee with, with a really strong referee yeah. yeah um and so the first battle mech according to this alternate history was invented in the year 2439 okay under the terran hegemony or hegemony i've never figured out which syllable i need to stress there and for several centuries, uh, the hegemony 
And then the league held this technological edge. Mm -hmm. now, now, the great houses got mechs. They managed to, to reverse engineer some of the technology, steal some of the rest of the technology. Okay. But the, the Hegemony and then the Star League were always like one generation ahead of the, uh -huh. the noble houses in, in the mecha that they were able to build, the battle mechs they were okay. able to build. And so that really enabled the League to act as that enforcer. Because if you broke one of the accords or you decided, well, you know, they're not looking, we're going to go steal this planet from our neighbor that we agreed was going to be theirs. Right. Or, you know, we're going to do this other, you know, skullduggery underhanded thing. It was like, no, no, no. They're going to come for you and they've got, you know, Gen 5 tech and you're on Gen 3 and a half. Uh-huh. And so... No, you're you're not you're not going to get away with it. So they they acted in enforcement. Okay, and so that led to a period of com comparative stability until. Now uh, let me back you up just yeah. a sec. What did the first mecha look like? Was it, it a mad cat? Was it? It was a semi-humanoid. Well, it was humanoid. It mm -hmm. had two arms, two legs. Um, it didn't really have a head. Okay. Um, to see the illustration of, of the mech in question, uh -huh. it had it had a, a big dome uh -huh. where the head would be that didn't look really very head-like. Okay. But it was humanoid. Uh-huh. Um, it did not have hand actuators. It had right. Those were cannons yeah, of some it just sort. Had, it just had guns in its arms. Bird legs or human legs? Humanoid legs. Humanoid it was, legs. It was squat-looking, I mean, really tall. Square. Squat, squarish. Okay. You know. So, like, did it have a, a, a cannon mounted on its shoulder? No. It, uh, no missile bays mounted on it. No, there, there was take. there wasn't anything. There wasn't anything that looked like any of the iconic mechs that we see in the artwork okay. from the game. From the game, right, era. right. This this is something. The the, the Mackie was the name of the battle mech. Okay, it didn't actually, as far as I was able to figure out, uh -huh. the Mackie was not actually the rules for the first battle mech weren't actually written up until. Several editions into the game. Okay. This was just part of the history. Gotcha. So stop me if you've heard this before. Sure. But um, a weak child emperor, uh, the title that, that the leader of the Star League held was technically First Lord, but Emperor is the better historical parallel, um, became enthralled by an unscrupulous advisor in the mid-20th century. Um the uh, family that had controlled the Star League was the Cameron family. It was the Cameron dynasty. Okay. And um, the last Lord, uh, Ian Cameron, uh, fell under the sway of Stefan Amaris, who was an outworld ruler from the fringes of, of known space, uh -huh. who managed to lure the Emperor into his clutches and became a favorite of his, and then started a civil war in which the League's military uh, overthrew the unscrupulous advisor. Um, Sounds like Russia. A little bit. Sounds like Imperial little, Russia. A little bit, little bit like Imperial Russia. A yeah. little bit like Romanovs. Um, and after 14 years of fighting all over the inner sphere is uh -huh. when that finally happened. But that was not before the unscrupulous advisor had himself murdered Ian Cameron and ended the Cameron dynasty. Okay. okay so the last legitimate ruler... Or the last legitimate claimant to the title of First Lord uh, has has now been murdered. And in the wake of the war, uh, the leader of the army wanted to try to reestablish the Star League, but there was not, as I said, a surviving heir to the Cameron dynasty. 
and the leaders of the great houses all started jockeying to take the title for themselves. So the rulers of House Davian, House Corita, House Merrick, House Lau. Okay, so here's where, Steiner. here's where I remember colors. Yes. Um, Corita was green. Merrick was black. Lau, actually Lau might have been green. Corita might have been red. But it was a rusty red. Okay. Um, and this is all like Sega Genesis style yeah, yeah, graphics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the colors weren't all that great. But because I remember if you went Merrick Black for your mech, you mm-hmm. were kind of a dick because, <laughs> because damage turning, shows up as black. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it's, so you're like, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of a, kind of a prick move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I always went with white and uh, Lau. Yeah. Because I like the, the light the, color the, with the green. With the green. Yeah. So yes, Lau generally mm-hmm. is associated with green. Um, the... Heraldic, so we're talking about heraldic colors rather yeah. than like you know that. Um, Kurita is associated with red. Merrick is associated with purple. Uh, in in the board game, um, Davian is red and gold. Is their uh, heraldic colors? Kurita um, is just straight up blood red. Uh, Steiner is blue. I already mentioned Lau. We had Eric. a blue, but yeah. I don't I don't remember it being called Steiner, but I just yeah. might not remember yeah, that yeah, too. Okay. So in any event, those those were the successor states. And these the rulers of each of these individual vast noble houses all started jockeying to try to take the title of, of first lord. The ruler of Corita in particular mm-hmm. in the uh, in the in the lore is is characterized as having been convinced that you know essentially by divine right he's the one who should take over that role now this is the still the the knockoff on imperial russia these are all vying for imperial russia these these are all vying to take the role of i i think more of it like the holy roman emperor okay to kind of give sure you know my own early modernist Kind of uh, comparison, but and, they're, they're still within the context of what you were talking about the, yeah. the child emperor who yeah, got duped yeah, and then yeah, murdered. Who got duped? Okay. And, then murdered. and so um, all all of the leaders of, of these houses immediately start you know squabbling. Uh-huh. Skirmishes start breaking out between them, like you do. And disgusted, the commander of the army mm-hmm. uh, sent a message out to all of the royal army forces all of the star league military forces okay and all at once um they packed up all their dependents they Mm -hmm. packed up all their gear all their weaponry all their machinery and they left they disappeared the army did the army okay and all all of and again all of their dependents and everybody affiliated with them Uh disappeared out into unexplored space with all that wonderful high tech and all that political legitimacy Okay. Just literally folded out into space because that's technically how the how the dr- jump drive works. They just okay. jumped away. Now it's important to note the uh, army leader who made this decision and got all of his, well, not all, but nearly all of his units to follow him had the last name Kerensky. <laughs> Now, <laughs> if you know anything about the early Soviet Union, that's yeah. going to ring some bells. A little bit. So Kerensky gathers the whole Star League army up uh-huh. and says, peace, uh-huh. out. Okay. And literally, 
gone. And they're gone. Okay, they disappear, and nobody knows where they've gone. Okay. And in the context of the universe, mm-hmm. the the figure of Kerensky for common ordinary people kind of takes on this King Arthur kind of you know He'll return missing, when we disappeared get it right. king you know okay. yeah kind of kind of context. And so the great houses who were squabbling over who was going to run the Star League then became the successor states. Mm-hmm. And because there was nobody there to enforce the Ares conventions, they blasted everybody into a near, nearly into a new dark age. Okay. Uh, before finally settling into a couple of centuries of constant low-intensity skirmishing, punctuated by occasional real wars. Okay. Okay. So on the borders between these different powers on a galactic scale, there's mm-hmm. always... Chevauchés raiding. There's always something going on. Okay, but it's it's what we nowadays would refer to as low intensity conflict. Sure. And it's once in a while border skirmish. Yeah, and once in a while somebody manages to get enough of a force together and get sneaky or smart or lucky enough to manage to actually say no. I'm starting like a large scale invasion and a new and a, and a war actually breaks out. Right. Okay. Uh, and so that's where the original box set introduced us to the universe in in the middle of the 31st century. So how much box text was that to know that universe? Was Um, it the first third of a book? Was it, you know, eight paragraphs? What I just wad at you um, is spread out over... A bunch of different sources. Oh, so okay. what what you would get when you open the box uh-huh. was an explanation that there used to be the Star League. Uh-huh. Um, the Star League fell apart because of corruption and mm-hmm. you know people being shitty. Right. And now the Great Houses are all competing to try to see who's going to become the star, the lord of a new Star League. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody has the resources to do it really. And here we are. It is it is okay. an age it is an age of constant low intensity conflict and <laughs> there we are. You know, and so now you have an excuse to take your little pieces of plastic and shoot at the other guy's little pieces of actually in this in this case sure. it was pewter. Oh wow because it was still the eighties and you could still right. get lead pewter. Thank you for fucking that up, Congress. But anyway, Anyway, sorry, I have strong feelings about this. About getting to handle lead. Uh, well, here's the deal. Within the context of, of a, a mod, 28 millimeter model, uh-huh. the amount of lead exposure you have is bupkis. Okay. Like within, within, within the alloy of pewter that you're handling, <clears throat> the lead exposure to you as the guy working with it, uh-huh. unless you spent hours every day sanding miniatures without a mask on, like for 20 years... Okay. There, there was. I mean, handling one and painting it, mm-hmm. and you know, cutting little bits off and doing stuff. There's no real. There's no exposure. Okay. Uh, but, but what happened mm-hmm. was in around '89 or '90. I want to say it might have been later. Um, there were new EPA regulations approved in regard to the use of lead that didn't actually have anything to do with the hobby industry. Okay. But but were written in such a way mm. that miniatures now had to be made with lead-free pewter. Lead-free pewter means tin. Oh, is pewter just lead and tin? Yeah. Oh, pewter okay. is an alloy of lead and tin. And okay. It's mostly tin. There's not a lot of lead involved. But there's enough lead to make it bendable. So if some so if you drop a model and an uh, arm it doesn't bends, break. you can bend it back right. and it's not gonna snap off. Right. Okay. Tin will snap. Tin tin snaps all the goddamn time. What as, about 
as as the as the miniature nut of the two of us, let me tell you, uh-huh. um, getting the opportunity to work with a pre lead ban mm-hmm. miniature is is something I look forward to, <laughs> because everything about doing it is so much easier. Okay. Now I uh, I don't know much. I I only okay. know what I know from Rome's history. Yeah. And even then, I, I don't have like mm. I, I know plenty about Roman wine. Mm. I've never had wine, yeah. so my none of my knowledge is practical. Okay, well, I know that bronze is a soft metal. Yes, it is obviously not as soft as pewter. No, would it crack and snap instead of bend? Bronze? Yes. Um, no. Generally speaking, no. It would just bend. Bronze, bronze would mostly bend. Well, then why not make? It's a good question that's tin because, and because it's tin and copper, uh-huh. and copper is expensive enough. Mm-hmm. Always was expensive enough, right? That that wasn't it, it, the the hardness, the nature of the hardness. Mm-hmm. I don't know enough about the metallurgy, but basically, it's it's just that that bronze would be a very different, more difficult metal to work with. Oh, okay. Uh, bronze is great for casting stuff. Like like casting oh. bells and casting swords, for right. that matter. And actually, I could go into a whole sword nerd <laughs> thing about you know Bronze Age swords actually being like good enough to shave with, as far as the oh, incredibly sharp. Yeah, yeah, like, like and wicked, easy like, to sharpen like, back up. Well, yeah, I yeah. mean, if you if you wanted to, or you could just you know melt them down, and cast a new one out of them. Yeah. Which which we actually know, um, and I have to say it because this is just kind of too awesome not to. <laughs> Um, in in Irish and Celtic, other Celtic mm-hmm. uh, sagas about heroes, we have these stories of these heroes carrying three and four and five swords into battle. And for a long time, everybody was like, "Why the hell would you do that? That's a waste of resources." What what on earth? What well, we figured out mm-hmm. from people actually doing reenactment and recreating bronze weapons is a bronze sword is mm-hmm. really awesome for about the first three or four hits. Yes. Like it will, it will cut like a razor for the yeah. first three or four hits, and then it's a cudgel. Then it's, it's, <laughs> it's close to being a cudgel. Yeah. So, and and what you can actually do is, you know, drop that one, pick up a new one, and the thing is, when the battle is over, you go back, you pick up all the old bronze weapons that everybody dropped, you melt them down, and you recast them. Wow. And, you now have, and so, okay. No, they probably did. Is wow. kind of what we're talking about is you probably did see guys with the wealth to do it carrying three and right. f- at least three and four swords sure. into a battle to always have a sharp one. Yeah, because I go back to the Romans and they mass produced swords and yeah. they made them perfect for stabbing. They didn't go for slashing because slashing is way too much energy, mm-hmm. leaves you way too open. Stabbing you can do right next to a tower shield right, and mm-hmm. just keep walking forward. Mm-hmm. And now you're literally the amount of muscular energy you're putting yeah. in. Way less, mm-hmm. way less at risk. Well, and you're and, part of a vast machine of and it enables you. Tower yeah. shields. it yeah. enables you to yeah. be that yeah. vast machine. Well, and you yeah. don't have to really worry about it getting dull because you just keep stabbing. You just keep stabbing. Yeah, just keep stabbing. Just keep stabbing. <laughs> um, so now that we've had that big long right uh, that dalliance uh, uh, dalliance. Um, so you have miniatures. We we that you, you know, can you shoot have, at each other. You have your miniatures that you can set on the table and have blast each other. Um, now, it should be noted, as mm-hmm. you already pointed out, this mm-hmm. is a variation on post-apocalypse. Yeah. You know, the post-apocalyptic theme, and in this case, it's post-apocalypse mashed up with space opera mm-hmm. uh, to get this particular kind of stew 
Uh, and so and back it, to stuff that we've talked about in previous episodes, post-apocalypse stuff was a big deal during right. this time period because we were standing on the edge of a precipice where, you know, God knows. We might be heading toward apocalypse. We, yeah, you know, yeah. we might try to outlaw the Soviet Union and begin bombing in five <laughs> minutes, you know, and, you know, so. So when we did the episode on 40K. Yeah. That was an outgrowth of Thatcherism. Yes. Thatcherism starts in 79. Yeah. This is 84. Yeah. Clearly, the Americans who'd, who'd made Battletech had played 40K. Or they knew of it, certainly. Yeah. Right. I'm just, yeah. I'm thinking, because now Thatcher again, Thatcherism and Reaganism are very close. They're, they're really close. Uh, and you've, you've basically got this idea of guys in hypered armor. Oh, yeah. There, and there, so now it's just are, the next step. It's it's yeah. an Americanized version of the British. Yeah, well, yeah. And 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 the interesting thing is, uh, to to kind of talk about that a little bit more, there is this you know used future from Star Wars kind of element involved where uh-huh. the battle mechs that you're that you're throwing at each other mm-hmm. are going to be for the pilots running them their family heirlooms. Okay, where, which is you know, almost the mech, the mech was built you know three hundred years ago. This is and, almost exactly you know, is, the quote that you said about forty k. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, and so that element is definitely there. Okay, but what's interesting to me is there was this much more Buck Rogers. Mm-hmm. Adventurous kind of, you know, the 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 right. grim. Oh my God, this is so horrible. We're ruled by a bunch of fascists. This right. sucks. You know, the universe is dark and awful and terrible. It's American fascism. Yeah, it's, it's much it's, more colorful. It's, it's much more colorful. That boot could yeah. be mine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I could. I could, in fact, be the noble <laughs> in the big giant walking tank, stamping yeah. the face into eternity. Stamping the face into so, forever. Real quick, yeah. Buck Rogers, the TV show, yeah. had come out by this point too. Uh, yeah. And right. We're going to talk about that. Okay. In a minute, okay. That's. That's part of what I'm talking Just call about. Call me Mr. Segway. Yeah, uh-huh. So <laughs> so we have five successor houses. Okay. Uh, again. Successor states ruled by the great. Houses. Let's see if I remember. Okay. Merrick. Yeah. Corita. Corita. Lau. Lau. Steiner. Steiner. And hang on. Um, I don't have my jacket. Davian. Davian. Perfect. There we go. All right. So I'm going to start by talking about House Lau. Okay. So House Lau uh, rules the Capellan. Laos. Laos. Yeah. Kind of. Rules the Capellan Confederation. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now when when we talk about the name of the state of each one of these, mm-hmm. in a couple of cases they refer to the region, the stellar region of space that they that they're based around. And so, House Lao has its capital uh-huh. around the star of Capella. Okay, so it's a Capellan Confederation, and this was uh, designed to be a culture heavily built around imagery and concepts out of Imperial China. Okay, uh, Song Tang Qing dynasties. Okay. Okay. Uh, and Song Tang Ching is an important point that I'll get back to in a moment. Now, so that's that's the cultural mm-hmm. and aesthetic kind of kind of look that they have for that house. But politically, it's governed as a Stalinist Maoist authoritarian state with a Soviet-style secret police called the Maskirovka, constant intrusive surveillance, heavy, heavy, heavy-handed bureaucracy. Uh-huh. And this is where we get back to Songtang Qing Dynasty. Mm-hmm. All of it wrapped in this in this cloak of Neo Confucianism uh-huh. from those dynasties in Chinese history. We'll oppress you with a serene smile. Yes, we'll oppress you with a serene smile and we'll and we will impress upon you the importance of how you need to do this because you are a cog in the greater system. The celestial you know, bureaucracy yeah, demands yes, this. Yes, yeah. yes. 
So that's allowed, all right. Right. That's so allowed. so now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate a couple of things here. Uh-huh. Remember Stalinist Maoist, mm-hmm. massive secret police, mm-hmm. uh, constant surveillance, constant intrusive government control of individual rights. Have we ever okay. not, as a culture, uh, confessed by accusation? <laughs> that, isn't, that isn't why I was bringing that up, but, but it's interesting. It's, interesting to bring that up. Yeah. So, so, but, but based on perceptions of the day, that mm-hmm. was that was right. The USSR. Oh, that sure. Was, that was our 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 dark mirror. You know, the, the our, Sino-Soviet our alliance. Yeah, the Sino-Soviet alliance. Now, then we look at House Merrick. Okay. Which was referred to the the state that it ruled was the Free Worlds League. And now what's interesting is the culture in House Merrick was was a hodgepodge of Balkan European, mm-hmm. Greek, Persian, and Turkish elements. So Eastern Mediterranean. Eastern basically. Mediterranean. Uh, or and, Old Ottoman. Yeah. Well, Eastern Mediterranean and Ottoman. Kind right. Of roll them all. Right. Well, at one point the Ottoman was. The, the Ottoman, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just but, put their feet up and relaxed. Yeah, pretty much. Nice. Well done. <laughs> now, now, that... That house mm-hmm. ruled over a fractious and chaotic confederation of smaller interstellar states, Balkan, like the Balkans, right? Uh, with a very chaotic and fractious parliament, within, Greek within, and Turkish, yes, Greek Turkish, <laughs> within within the setting, mm-hmm. um, the Free Worlds League, citizens of the Free Worlds League, were very proud of the fact that they had the oldest continuous interstellar mm-hmm. uh, parliament and and they pointed to themselves as being you know truly a, a representative democracy uh-huh. kind of thing now what's interesting about that of course is that they have this catacractious parliament and then over it we have house merrick who runs the whole thing um uh based on uh, a state of emergency decree that gets uh, uh renewed uh, every couple of years by that fractious parliament or or every so often they have a massive civil war until another Merrick manages to win and they have the state of emergency redeclared. <laughs> okay. So that's House Merrick. Okay. House Steiner. Steiner. Okay. They're the EU in space. <laughs> okay. They rule over the Lyran Commonwealth based around Lyra. Lyra. And Steiner is the wealthiest of the successor states. Okay. They have all the money. They have okay. all the merchants. They are the house that is the most business friendly and the most um, the, the the most regulated capitalistic mm-hmm. house. Okay. okay. And they have a mass, and they were fortunate in those fractious wars, you know, that they survived with the largest surviving industrial base. Okay. And so um, they're heavily influenced by the Holy Roman Empire in early Germany. Sure. Okay. Uh, and so they're ruled over by essentially a figure who is much like the Holy Roman Emperor uh-huh. or Empress. Right. Because they were, the, they were the one house at the outset of the game. They were the one house that was ruled by a woman. Okay. Frederica the Great. Yeah. Frederica yeah. the Great. Katrina Steiner. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and, and then, you know, had mm-hmm. fairly powerful nobles. Now, within the um, fluff mm-hmm. of the game... Steiner was seen as dangerous because they had the most heaviest mechs. Okay. So, so you know, the, the joke was uh, that um, you run into a lance of, you know, two atlases 
and two Marauder 2s, which for anybody who knows the game, those are two of the heaviest varieties of mech in the game. They're both, you know, 100-ton gigantic okay. behemoth war machines. The Zangief, so... Yeah, the, uh, yeah. yeah yes, yes, perfect. Yeah. And you run into those four mechs, and, you know, you report back to your superiors, yeah, we ran into a recon lance from House Steiner. <laughs> Is, you know, that was right. like all the heavy, all the heavyweight stuff all the they time. They had just the biggest know, and best. Biggest, okay. Yeah. And, and while they had the biggest and the best stuff, their generals got their positions because of their social rank uh-huh. rather than knowing their stuff. So, so it was Prussian. kind of Prussian. Yeah. yeah. And then um, then we have House Curita. Okay. The Draconis Combine around the Star Draco. Just the name itself sounds Japanese. You're right on the money. All right. And their um, color was blood red, you said? Blood red. Like a blood certain crimson, dot on a flag? Crimson, yes, precisely. Okay. Uh, with, a, with a black dragon mm-hmm. coiled within the red I remember disc. that. Yes. I remember that. One of the, one of the most iconic. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if you've got to look at the aesthetics of the game, it was like, well, those guys look badass. Right. You know. Um, and so they are pre-war Imperial Japan. But the emperor is also the shogun. Okay. Okay. They're, they they never they, they never, they've combined they never, things. Yeah. They never let go of samurai culture. Sure. The emperor is the sure. shogun. Uh, they still have you know feudal daimyo, mm-hmm. and they they lift for House Kurita. They lifted everything straight out of feudal Japanese history. So it's like Tokugawa. Just, yeah. Updates. Yeah, yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Okay. Or, or uh, Sengoku Jidai, Age of the Country at War. Uh-huh. You know, stuff just picked just, up and okay. Thrown, add tanks to thrown, it. Yeah. Add 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 gigantic walking robots. Now, they also have secret police. Uh-huh. Uh, but their secret police are ninja. Okay. Because ninja are badass. This is the 80s. This is the 80s. And we're going to get into that. To the later. point where there were three movies called Ninja. You're getting ahead of me, but yes, <laughs> yes, that's a big thing. And, and, and again, because we're talking about it being pre-war Japan, it mm-hmm. is a fascist state. It right. Is, it is explicitly... Uh, you know, private industry mm-hmm. working hand in glove. Corporatism. More like, yeah. you know, the government's hand is up the ass of private industry or vice versa. You're never really yeah. sure which. Uh, answering to a very powerful central government, in this case, ruled by the coordinator of the Draconis Combine. Everybody for, this, for the good of the state. Yeah, yeah, and there is no pretense of democracy, like, at all. They're well, just, like, period. And the fact that it's in, you know, the Draco system. I mean, Draconis, Draconian... Draconian it's, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Pretty easy oh, yeah. jump. Yeah. Very easy. Okay. So then finally, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm saving, I don't know if the best is the right word, but Your I'm favorite. saving these guys, my favorite for Okay. Ones. House Davian. Okay. And has the Federated Sons. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this is America. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> At first blush, they look like the British Empire in space. Okay. Because the founding family uh-huh. is explicitly stated to be... Uh, descended from British or English and or okay. British and uh, French nobility. Okay. Um, and uh, so those are the two main cultural influences. It's very, you know, primarily very English looking on the surface. Uh-huh. It has a stable and relatively liberal parliament. Okay. Um, they have a free market but regulated economy. And it is, it is stated very clearly mm-hmm. that they are, that, that the rulers of House Davian... Uh, have a stated guarantee in the charter of the Foundation of the Federated Sons that guarantees citizen freedoms, despite it being, in the end, a military-dominated state like all of the others. So now the thing is, all of the trappings Uh look like 
Great Britain in space. Sure. The British Empire, right? Right. But if you think about it, it becomes clear it is, in fact, actually the United States. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's our... Post-war. Our, yeah, post-war. Standing army. Yeah. 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 The Iacocca. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a pluralistic, diverse society. Uh-huh. It's the strongest military power in the inner sphere. Uh-huh. Uh, like, combined arms. They yeah. Don't, they, you know... Uh, it's, it's explicitly stated that you know they they have the the largest you know army in, right. in the setting. Let me guess. Uh, um, would 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 I be accurate in saying that they have like the second best of everything in the game, whereas like other groups have their their have heavier mechs over here, lighter, uh, more uh, stealthy mechs over here, but the Americans are kind of just that middle moderate fighter, like, the, the, like, guile the guy of yeah, the, yeah, uh, the of the of the Street Fighter game. Good, good comparison. Yeah. Um, not really. Okay. The designers of the game were a bit more circumspect than okay. that. Okay. In that the technology base, uh-huh. the, I mean, the basic technology that everybody had access to was the same across the board. Uh-huh. So, like those two mechs that I mentioned earlier, sure. the, the Marauder Atlas and the Atlas. And the, the, the Atlas and the Marauder 2 mm-hmm. were um, available to everybody no matter what faction you decided to play. Okay. What would happen is, okay, well, the factories for building these two, mm-hmm. you know, House Merrick has four factories, and I'm just pulling these figures at this point sure. out of my hind end, but I could look it up. Sure, sure. Uh, because, again, this setting is like catnip because they have all of this stuff written down. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, Steiner has four factories that are able to build the Atlas, whereas Davian has one. Uh-huh. Lau doesn't have any. Kurita might have two. Uh-huh. You know, and so everybody has access to everything, but you can look at somebody's army when they put it on the table and say, oh, that looks very fill-in-the-blank, uh-huh. because if somebody is a fluff guy, like right. me, they're going to look at, okay, well, you know, I can I can, I can, can tweak it if I want to, or I can just say, no, I'm painting them all Davian army green, they're Davian whatever, sure. I don't care. Or, you know, I paint them bright red, you know, they're the third sword of light. Right. Yes, they're all recon mechs. I don't care. I like the way sword of light screw <laughs> you. You know. And and you could get away with that in in canon. Sure. Because the designers of the game were smart enough to go, we're not gonna make it so you can't do that. Right. Now later on there were particular models of mech that were like, this is a Lao only thing. Mm-hmm. This is a Karita only thing, you know. But at the beginning, it was no, no. These these are the everybody mechs. gets everything. These are the yeah. mechs. Pick what you want to do. Go blast each other. Right. And so, so there wasn't this kind of well, you know, second best at everything. Okay. Slightly above average stats across the right. board. You know. Okay. They they didn't quite do that. Okay. Now, um, you know, House Davian was um, characterized as being scientifically curious and advanced, mm-hmm. while everybody else was in this semi superstitious dark age. Mm-hmm. Um. So if House Davian is the XB for the United States, hold on a sec, my mm-hmm. notes have decided to go wonky on me, I don't want the keyboard, there we go. Uh, so if House Davian is the XB for the US, who do you think is the principal antagonist here? Uh, well, 84, middle of the Cold War, we're about to start bombing in five minutes. <laughs> who would you immediately assume, based on the description I gave, is going to be characterized as the primary heavy? Um, the one that is the cutout for uh, Imperial Russia. Okay. That's what I would assume. But what you'd said earlier was that it it's Cold War, all that, but focused on Yellow Peril. Yellow Peril. So I'm going to say Krita. Yes. And you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing is, you you would you would assume if if you were a a social historian. Mm-hmm. 
looking back on, on all of this and somebody explained, okay, so these are who the, who the five houses are, it would be, well, it's the Cold War, so obviously the crypto-Soviets are right. the bad guys. No. No, it's not Lao. It's Kurita. And the thing is, Lao comes across as the also-ran antagonist. In, in, all of the novel, in all of the early novels, mm-hmm. the, the rulers of uh, Lao are characterized as being these mustache-twirling villains who, you know, succeed in the short run by being cunning mm-hmm. and, you know, backstabby and then always wind up getting triple-crossed right. or, you know, they, they get foiled and, and they wind up being a punching bag more often than a real threat. Uh, the real threat is Karita. The big bad is the coordinator of the Draconis Combine. Okay. okay? Uh, who has expansionist goals to conquer the rest of the inner sphere and by conquering everybody else, become first lord. Okay. Okay. And now we got to take a look back at the real world at this point because why, why, wait, wait, hold on. So we're standing on the precipice of like us and the Soviets Literally blowing each other into atoms, and right. and the and and the and the heavy here is the Japanese. And so, mm-hmm. when we start the next episode, because mm-hmm. you know we're getting close to the end of this one, we're going to look at what was going on mm-hmm. in the Zitgeist at that time, uh, in order to explain why why that was. Okay, so why why are we? Because I I look at a map of yeah. the the world. Yeah. Why are we focused left in this game instead of right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. So okay. Cool. All right. So what do yeah. you what are you taking away at this point? Now that we've now that I've laid the groundwork. Sure. Um, I still think a Loki Prime is a viable uh, <laughs> mech. I, I got to get uh, an explanation was... for me about how you did that. Because yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I was a Vulture V4 guy. And oh, was you also an missile fun choice. guy. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, no, know. a lot of people went for that. A oh, lot yeah? of people... Yeah. Not, not in the crowd I, I ran with. At that gotcha, yeah. yeah. So, because anyway. splash damage was wonderful. Oh, so, oh, yeah. um, And you hit you know all those missiles on the right spot. Yep, yep. But, yeah, so I don't know. I'm thinking... It feels almost like the people who came up with this game were also ran historians. Okay. Because I'm just seeing so many tropes of, oh, let's go feudal. Because it's easier to write fiction when you have five families. Mm-hmm. So you basically have only five personalities you have to deal with. Because mm-hmm. if in a feudal system, it's the yeah. personality yeah, on top yeah, that matters. Yeah, yeah. Um, so any person you take from that society can absolutely be a representation of you know the person at the yeah, top yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can write really easy palace intrigue in a feudal system. Oh yeah. Um, I also with the with the Karita stuff that they're fascist again feels a little I don't know science fictiony lazy um, okay. because the the biggest bad guys we've ever faced have been fascists. Yeah. Uh, and so and remain. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing. If you don't take your full course of antibiotics, the and infection you, comes back. Right. Yeah. You and stronger. Yeah. Sadly. You wind up, yeah. Yeah. If, if you only take it until symptoms go away, yeah. this is what you get. This is what you get. But um, you know, so it's it's a ready-made bad guy. Yeah. Uh, so, and and I say that fully aware of all the sins that Star Wars c- commits to all of this. Oh yeah. You know, you have a princess in space. Um, but and she's a badass. Oh, she's amazing. But, you know, um, to me, yeah. she'll always be a general. Yeah. But uh, you have uh, so it just 
I'm I'm interested in how they just have this like really rich, wonderful idea, and then they just kind of plug in these tropes. Yeah, and it's like yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no. Yeah. I see what you're saying. That's, yeah, that's 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 an interesting take. And it could be that's let's get to that so that we can get to the blowing each other yeah. up on the board thing. I, I think I think you that's, know that's that's a big part of it, and that's very valid. And I think and I think there's also something to be said, and I'm going to get into this in our next episode about about the zitgeist of the moment. Yeah, I think I think personality is driven. Where we were at that oh, point. Yeah. In the state of the world, I yeah. think had had a lot to do with with the mindset of, of the guys writing. I also, you know, I think back to uh, westerns. Yeah. Um, and uh, in the westerns, you always have a shootout in the middle yeah. of town. The amount of actual I mean, shootouts that actually happened in the old west were remarkably small. Yeah. Like because it's stupid. Because why would I dumb. give you a chance to kill me? Yeah. So yeah. you know, it's much much yeah. meaner. No, the shootout of the OK Corral <laughs> is notable because it was the aberration from the norm right. rather than the norm. Right. That's the reason it's so famous. Yeah, and yeah. so it like, but cinematically, it makes a lot of oh, sense. Well, yeah. No. You focus on one guy. You focus on the other guy. We all get involved in the drama. We're drawn into those two personalities. So it feels lazy in the same way that feels lazy. It's not necessarily lazy. It's just tropey. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and that's okay. And, yeah, that's that's I, fine. I think, I think I think I'm going to come around to mm-hmm. uh, uh, tropes are not bad. Fair. All, all capitalized tropes are not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Or first letters capitalized. Yeah. Uh, which is itself a trope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything is a trope. Yeah. Um, um, I, I how you've managed to stay away from TV tropes and, and not have it rot your brain, I don't know. Um, on the one hand, I want to congratulate you. On the other hand, you poor, poor bastard, because it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think it's it's interesting to note where it was these guys were coming from. My own perception, yeah. my own perception at the time as a twelve year old, mm-hmm. looking at. Sure. Or in '84, I was only nine, but by the time and are I was you, really looking at this stuff, I was were you the age eight. they were aimed at? I was or were they aimed at adults? I was a little younger. Okay. Um, I'd say they were they were aiming for your high school. They were to college students. Okay. They, they were this this was not a game for twelve year olds. Okay. This has you got to keep track of a lot of stuff. There's a sure. lot of there's a lot of paperwork. It's not even today when they've kind of streamlined it. It is not. A simple game. It's okay. involved. It takes some time. Once you know what you're doing, then you're in it. You, you can you're run in it. it. Yeah. You can get very tactical. But when you're learning how to, it has a steep learning curve. You got to sure. got to do a lot of a lot of a lot of math on the fly. Keep track of stuff. So if that's the case, and these guys are not novelists, that's no. the other thing I need to no. point out. No. I, they, I'm not. They hired yeah. novelists, but right. they were not novelists. Okay, so there, there's a few things that feed into it, and also as you just said, the culture at the yeah. time. Yeah. So. so. Well, I look forward to next week, um, right. or next episode, rather. Andy, you, uh, you uh, any, any previews to that, or you just want to leave us with the mystery? I, I think I'll just leave you with the mystery a little bit. Um, I will say we're going we're gonna to spend some time talking about Japanese uh, reconstruction after World War II, because oh, cool. it's important for this. Well, hence the giant robots. Indeed. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, for uh, Geek History of Time, uh, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm Ed Blaylock, and, we'll- and keep rolling those 20s.